Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everybody. It's me, Connor Clancy, host of the Forza Italian Football Podcast, and I'm delighted to say that this week, even though it's an international round of fixtures, we are back with an extra special bonus edition of the podcast. I spoke to Herbie Sykes, author of Juve, 100 Years of an Italian Football Dynasty, about his new book, which was published on the 15th of October this year. It is the definitive history of the iconic football club, the glory, the scandal, the stars, and its enduring influence on Italian life. Really, really interesting conversation with Herbie, if I do say so myself. I encourage you to listen to this, and we are delighted to say that we are offering a giveaway of his fascinating book. So head over to Twitter at Serie A FFC, Instagram and Facebook at Forza Italian Football to find out how you can get yourself a copy of Herbie's book. Anyway, that's enough from me and over to Herbie to talk about his book and the club that are so divisive in Italian football. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Herbie Sykes on the podcast now to talk about his new book all about Juventus. It's titled Juve, 100 Years of an Italian Football Dynasty. Herbie, thank you so much for taking your time to come and join me on the podcast. Pleasure. I'm going to start with a quite a simple question. Why this book? Why Juventus? Well, um, it's a long and winding road, this story, but essentially, um, you know, I've done for many men for 12 years and saw my first Turin Derby in 1991. So, um, uh, so I've the kind of vested interest in, 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 in Juve. Uh, I'm not a Juve fan. Uh, I was a Toro fan initially. Ah, okay. um, but obviously, um, Juventus, the Agnelli's, Fiat, 
are essentially the story of the Italian century, of the 20th century. Uh, and um, my city, my adopted home, is conditioned absolutely, um, unequivocally, by, by the Agnellis and by Fiat and obviously by extension Juventus because the reality of Juventus is that it's, it always was a, a, a political and a geopolitical construct. So, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a fascinating subject. They're fascinating. The club is fascinating. Um, and um, they are, uh, and of course, it's unique in, the sporting con in a sporting context. It's 100 years, more or less, of the same family, and that doesn't exist anywhere else. So... A lot yeah. A lot of our listeners haven't won't necessarily be familiar with with Italy and the cities within it. Can you explain what you mean by that? Is that Turin as a city is conditioned by the Agnelli family, by Juve, by everything that surrounds the club? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, Turin is to Fiat as Detroit was to Ford, uh, in the sense that. Um, this, this, at a certain point in time, uh, the, the population of Turin exceeded a million. It's now down to about 900,000 because we're post-industrial now. But, um, but um, Fiat, everybody in Turin worked for Fiat or for somebody that worked for, that for, or for the supplies of Fiat or for the supplies of, of the supplies of Fiat. Um, and Fiat was the motor of the Italian economy. After the war, when Italy took... Um, in the, when, the, the, after World War II, Italy and Greece in particular were, were, were at risk of communist contagion. Okay, uh, the Communist Party in Italy was extremely strong, and put, to cut a very long story short, Italy took a lot of money of the Marshall Plan money from the Americans. Okay, and uh, invested it in the motorization of the country. So the the economic plan or the economic boom of Italy post-war, when Italy, Italian society, Italian life changed radically, was all predicated upon the manufacture of motor cars and infrastructure, motorways, and so on and so forth. So Fiat became in fabulous, and the Agnelli family, and by extension their football club, became fabulously wealthy. Okay, so people drove Fiat cars, they drove them on Fiat motorways, uh, and Fiat Steel built the railways and so on and so forth. And um, so, yeah, it, Fiat and Fiat was a massive success story and it was indivisible from Italy's success story. You have to bear in mind that in the 50s and 60s, Italian GDP was growing at 8% year on year. So just huge amounts of money flooding in and with them um, political influence. Um, and Juventus was, if you like, for the, for the Agnelli family, so for successive Agnelli uh, children, I was talking specifically about Gianni and Umberto Agnelli, it was a toy. Mm. It was what they did uh, when they reached adulthood before they moved into one of the serious jobs, which would be Fiat. Yeah. Um, and so that, broadly speaking, is what Fiat always, uh, sorry, what Juventus always was and is, in point mm. of fact. It's uh, it's part of the Agnelli family fortune, yeah, and they lavish vast fortunes on it. Juve are obviously the the most dominant club in Italy now. They're the, the biggest club here. So how how has that become to be true? 
given that, as you say, they were almost the toy of the family. And now they're this all-conquering force in Italian football. Yeah, well, they can afford to be, in the first instance, because they're massively rich. Uh, they have uh, seemingly unlimited wealth. Um, what's interesting about Juventus is it, it was it, it was it was it was built in. It was never um, engineered. I mean, it's 1923 when when they bought the thing. Um, the kind of preset, one of the precepts of, Ju of Juventus is that it's Italian. It, it's Italy's team. Okay, so we always refer to the. Uh, la fidanzata dell'Italia and so on and so forth so it's, yeah. so it's so, as distinct to being a parochial my, myopic one-eyed Torinese construct which Torino is obviously yeah. Juve was kind of configured to represent Fiat and Fiat had a national audience and a national customer base if you like and Juventus was instrumental in that so when in 1934, for example, uh, Italy won the World Cup with six, I think, Juve, Juventini starters. Yeah, that kind of said, we're bigger than Torino. We're bigger than our city. We're bigger than Piemonte because the, the Piemontese are, are very insular, traditionally or historically very insular. And so Juve always aspired to be Italy's team as distinct to Turin's team. So whilst M Milan and Inter represent broadly speaking, Milan and Lombardia, yeah, and the Milanese, hint Milanese hinterlands, you, Juve always had much, was always, had much more ecumenical ideas about itself. It wanted to be Italy's team, not categorically not the team of Torino, because that limits its scope, and obviously it was part of the Agnelli Empire, part of the Fiat Empire. Well, that is something that you do see thrown at Juve quite often, which is that they're, they're not a, a Torinese team. They're, they're a team that represent Italy. And we saw the jokes recently when they played at Crotone that it was the, the derby of Calabria, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every, I, the, the point is, every game they play is a derby. Yeah. And yeah. That's, why, that's why they fill column inches and put bums on seats, because every game they play, by definition, is a derby, because out there in the provinces... Uh, they, they, you know, they need Umbria. You, just, you mentioned before we spoke about Umbria and Abruzzo and, and these and uh, and Marche, where there are no big population centres. They support Juve. Yeah. Half of them support Juve, and so you know, so that the, all the games are big games because they're all derbies in effect, in a material sense. Yeah. yeah since I've been in Parma, I think I've seen the Tardini sell out or close to sell out twice, yeah. both for Juve matches. Yeah, with yeah. Juventini. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 50-50. Yeah, uh, and they've been very, very successful in that. Um, I think uh, to understand Italian football, you really need to understand something about the fascist era, because the fascists always, if you like, appropriated sporting success. Mm. So when Juve won, or when 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 Italy won the World Cup in '34 and '38, predominantly with Juve, with Juve players. The regime took that, okay, and utilized it for geopolitical for propaganda purposes. Okay. Mm. So what you so so what happened in, 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 in effect was that Juve became synonymous with the Azzurri and with the national team and with Italian sport. Uh, and that still holds true today because they take pains to make that happen. 
How is that split in in the city of Turin? Because, like I say, you get those jokes that Juve are Torinese. It's like in England, people say that people in Manchester support Manchester yeah. City and everywhere else support United. Is it that black and white? Uh, it, I would say that Torino is probably um, amongst the people of my generation and the older generation, people whose whose parents grew up with the Grande Torino. Yeah. Uh, the the great Torino team between 1940 and 49, um, and and out in the in, in the in the Piemontese provinces, yeah. So if you think about Cuneo, if you think about maybe Novara, Biella, uh, uh, it's very it's very much Toro. It's very much Toro, and it's uh, however it's changing very obviously because it's ten years now that Juve are winning the league every year, yeah. and so. In some respects, so whilst Toro is, is rooted in, in Piemonte, absolutely, um, and it's almost, and it is a, and and, and there is a kind of um, a kind of almost a politic politicisation of this. If you're a Toro fan, it probably signifies that you're indigenous Piemontese, for want of a better right. term, that your parents were Piemontese, your grandparents were Piemontese, you are of here. Yeah. Um, obviously, in I, I don't know the exact demographic in the city, but it, but there are there are a great many more Juve fans in in Turin now than there would have been probably twenty five or thirty years ago, by dint of the fact that football is much more global and Juve is fabulously fabulously successful and Toro just isn't. So, um, but yeah. Um, in the in the fifties and sixties, you'd massive inward migration into Turin with with Fiat and all the stuff around it, and the, a lot of people came from the south. Huge huge amounts of people came from the south every day. These the so-called uh, Trenity Speranza, the trains of hope, would drop hundreds of people off at Porta Nuova, the big station in town, and they came from the south because in Turin there was work, and in the agrarian south there was no there was no work. And those people tended to line up behind Juventus because Juventus was successful. It was Italian as distinct to Torinese or Piemontese. And in supporting Juve as distinct to Toro, they kind of asserted their own regional identity. And what they, what they were effectively saying was, yes, we're in Turin, but we're not of Turin. And that's an important distinction. So, um, so yeah, that was a, a moment of, of, of huge change. And uh, so, yeah. And is that still true to this day, where where Juve see themselves as Italian representatives rather than PMO? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. I mean, it's not it's not difficult to deduce. Mm. Um, yeah, Toro is Toro is of is is, is, is is I mean, even even the location of the respective grounds. You know, yeah. Juve is out there at Venaria on the on the. Uh, very close to the motorway and there's a kind of a metaphor in that probably Toro <laughs> is very central the other play they play in the old olympic stadium um yeah i think so i mean football has changed dramatically it's a lot more global now and i think people support teams um for different reasons perhaps than they did 20 30 50 years ago but i would say broadly speaking it's still just about holes that Toro. Is the side of the old old Piemontese families, yeah. Mm. As loved as Juve are by their supporters, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a club in another European country, another Western European country, really, that 
is as despised, as envied, as loathed as yeah. as Juve are. Um, yeah. Obviously, there are reasons for that which go beyond them just being successful, right? Yeah, there are. There are reasons. I mean, it, it, it was it was constructed uh, in fascism. It's always been the club of the right. Certainly in 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 Torino, it's the club of the right. Mm. Broadly speaking, of people who whose political sympathies of the right are of the right, it's synonymous with a certain degree of uh, Machiavelli uh, Machiavellianism. They they kind of. I mean, we all know about. Moggi and Alordi and these figures, these these kind of figures that um, uh, have have sought in uh, to subvert sporting justice. So, but but what what's interesting about them is is that um, everybody makes a decision about Juve. Nobody's indifferent about Juve. Nobody's ambivalent about Juve. You either they are kind of marmite in that respect. Yeah. People people make a decision and they compel you to make a decision. And they're good, and that's absolutely as they would want it. So, in some respects, the whole the whole black and white kind of thing is is a is a good metaphor for them. Uh, yeah, people really, really. Do. I mean, everybody without fail. I mean, they're the only side in Italy without a twinship, without a, any kind of kinship with another side. And there's a reason for that. They don't want it. They 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 absolutely set themselves up to be entirely other. You know. Um, so the language, the vernacular, the way everything about them is, uh, yeah, it's distinct to, to other Italian sides. Is it fair to say that your book is, it's more than just a, a footballing tribute to Juventus? You do touch on the, the murkier side of the club's operations as well. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're indivisible. I, I, what I would say about Juventus is this, the players are, 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 are passing through at any given time. So obviously... Yeah. Uh, the story of Juventus is Del Piero, it's Zoff, it's Boniperti, it's these superstar players, yeah, uh, Platini, etc. Um, but the constant is the Agnellis, uh -huh. um, and the constant is Italy, and Italy and Italians have never really subscribed to Corinthian ideals about sport in the way that, for example, the British might, yeah, loosely speaking. And they understand that sport and politics, that, 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 that football is far bigger than 11 against 11, and that everything that happens on the pitch is prefigured by and conditioned by the boardroom stuff, yeah. And so, um, you know, there's a reason that Juventus are fabulous, fabulously successful and have been for the thick end, thick end of 100 years. They condition the landscape around the football, if you like, and have always set out to do that. Umberto Agnelli was president of the, the FIGC, age 23. And there's a good reason for that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, um, they, and on occasion, the reality is, the fact of the matter is, that they have been seen and been guilty of uh, sporting fraud. I mean, um, now, what they would say is, well, that everybody does it, we're just we're probably more successful at it than others and you could argue that's the case but 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 yeah i mean over a number i, I mean i mean if it if, if it were just one instance of chicanery then you'd say okay well um modji happened um and and we move on from there but but over the years it's been you know there's there's quite a 
there's quite a, there is quite a lot of this stuff, which of course explains why Italians are absolutely convinced that they're implicitly and intrinsically corrupt, <laughs> even, you know. Um, so, yeah. It is quite strange, though, isn't it, how these um, unsavoury incidents have repeated themselves consistently throughout the club's history. It's not like a, a once-off thing. People point to Calciopoli because it's the most recent that they can yeah, remember, true, but true. There, there were countless before that. Yeah, I mean, in the 70s, particularly, uh, it, Italian football was lousy. I mean, it was the, the degree of corruption was, it was fairly endemic. Um, and the book talks about, you know, um, the early 70s and the, the period of, and, and but, you know, Milan, Milan were also c culpable. You know, they, they weren't operating in isolation, but Juve employed Alordi, who'd, who'd been fabulously successful with Inter, and Alordi was extremely skilled at... Um, the stuff, I'm trying to be politic here, the stuff that informs success in Italian football, yeah? Um, and uh, Alordi taught Moji, and, and, um, and Moji was extremely successful in his role, yeah? Um, uh, with all that that implies. So, yeah, I mean, um, there is a certain, uh, there's a certain amount of um, skill involved in, in engineering success in Italian football, and it's uh, and there always was. So there's the famous instance with Brian Clough when uh, when uh, his Derby side played in Turin in 1973, 74, can't remember, and the ref booked Gemmel and McFarlane, who were Derby's two best players, and saw to it they were suspended for the second leg. And this stuff just went on and on and on and on, and it was part of the currency of the game for many many years. Yeah. And it doesn't just wash through, of course. Um, so yeah, it's um, and that's one of the reasons that we the Italian football is so endlessly fascinating because there's some pretty murky stuff goes on. Yeah, since since I've been here, it seems to be the case that you, you meet someone new and they ask who you support, almost expecting you to say Juve. Um, I personally support Atalanta, so when I say that, there's like a, almost a sigh of relief that it's it's someone that wasn't Juventus. Yeah, it's anybody but them. Exactly. But them and um, and um, so yeah, I mean, but again, that's that's part of the construct. They're they're absolutely good with that. Then they're they're, they're 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 not interested in being anybody's second favorite team because being a second favorite team doesn't put doesn't you know doesn't put money in the till doesn't put bums on seats. There's no value in that for them. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, but, but but absolutely, that's prevalent wherever you go in Italy, of course, isn't it? Yeah, you're either for them or against them, and that's as they would want it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. In, in terms of Juve now, they've obviously made moves in the last few years. I, I'm thinking immediately of the changing of the crest to become what is I think what they call the lifestyle brand rather yeah. than a football team. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, how would you define Juventus in their in their current existence? Uh, I would define them. Um, I have I have uh, something of a problem with modern with modern football because it's obviously it's a it's a money machine. I suppose it was ever thus to some degree, and and, yeah. and, and, and we shouldn't delude ourselves that it wasn't. Because yeah. certainly, thinking back thirty years when I started following Italian football, it was already pre. It's essentially you'd got extremely wealthy owners 
lavishing money. They invert. I mean, Parma would be a case in point you know, with with Tanzi. They didn't always have on on their football teams. Um, the I mean, the crest with the two J's and the Juve and more, and the more being the kind of the, the the collateral stuff they do to generate revenues for the football club. It's just a reality, and they're extremely good at it. Um, now, you could say that it's not sport, but sport takes place, and the football itself is you know is 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 never not beautiful. That's the reason that we love it. Um, but um, there's stuff around it that they do to generate revenues, and um, and they're very skilled at it. And the Agnellis are insanely rich. So yeah. you know, if if needs be, I think back to to, to when they bought John Charles in '57, uh, and they bought Sivori in '57, and and uh, and Nicolet. Um, so they've been doing this for many, many, many years, right from the get-go. They've you know for a hundred years, they it was Juventus that transformed football into a marketplace, and for a hundred years they've just been outspending people, you know. Um, Berlusconi came along and turned that on its head for a while, but fundamentally, they outlast everybody because they because they because they they're you know very very well. Yeah, the others will come and go, but Juve are that one constant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Juve are the Agnellis, you know, mm. it's uh, that's who they are. It's what they are, uh, and um, they're they're extremely powerful people. And it's difficult actually to articulate that. Um, because you living in Turin, you kind of absorb it. So um, um, everything that this town is, yeah, and and then you could say the same in Melfi and other places, other parts of Italy. Everything this town is is prefigured in, by by fear. Uh so whilst they don't necessarily manufacture a lot, at a certain point in time, they're employing 90,000 people at Lingotto, Minafiore, the other two big plants. Um, but yeah, they um, they can throw money at it. Yeah, over the course of writing this book, I mean, you've obviously dug deep. There will have probably been some notable highs and lows throughout the history of Juventus that were maybe more attention-grabbing than the others. Are, are there any obvious... High points and low points in the club's history that spring to mind. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I suppose uh, Heisel is mm. uh, kind of um, indelible. Um the I think I think with, with Juve you, 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 because it's indivisible from the national team because there was always traditionally there was, a, there was there was always a blocco Juventino in the Azzurri yeah? yeah so Spain eighty two Tardelli's goal yeah and everything around that moment in time is very interesting uh, so notwithstanding the fact that they weren't wearing a black and white shirt yeah. you know six of them were. Uh, were Azzurri and that Azzurri team that the 1982 World Cup is synonymous uh, 96 when they beat Ajax uh, in, to win the Champions League finally notwithstanding the fact that there's some you know there are some yeah. doping issues around that um, yeah I, th- I think um, the, the the side of Boniperti Charles and Sivori in the early 60s was sensational and so on and so forth uh, the Platini years. Platini was uh, a genius footballer, um, and as a metaphor for Juventus, he's perfect. Yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, uh, and thir- the, 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 the the theme in the thirties when they won when 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 they won five champions five Serie A titles on the spin. So yeah, throughout it's a constant, you know, Connor. There, um, the others may come and go. And we, I mean, we saw it with with with, with Atlanta having a, a great moment, relatively speaking. Now, Parma in the nineties, and so on and so forth. Um, but Juve is um, fabulously successful. Or, 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 you know, it's, uh, in fact, in fact, they're so successful now. I think we were having this discussion the other day about them having won um, nine championships on the spin, ten, ten championships on the spin. In effect is that it actually devalues the brand of Italian football yeah. because there's no serious competition. And that's problematical. So uh, until such time as Inter or Milan or somebody can get close, um, it's all it all feels a little bit mechanical. You know, yeah. it feels a bit utilitarian, like you just know what's going to happen. And that ultimately is probably not good for the brand, conversely, paradoxically. Yeah, well, they had won, what wasn't it? seven in a row and then they signed Cristiano Ronaldo yeah kind of of like, okay yeah. right so this is just going to continue then 
You know? Yeah, this is going to. I mean, obviously the the object, but but the the object of the exercise there, I think, was to try and win the champion Champions League. Yeah. But also, he's the big marquee statement signing, isn't he? That they need to make periodically. Yeah, he he's a, he's a way to say, okay, we are we are actually competing with the cities and with the PSGs of this world. Yeah. It, that is something that I, I personally feel quite strongly about with with Juve is that they've signed Cristiano Ronaldo not to continue winning the. Scudetto. He was signed for Europe and they haven't won it. How hard is that for them to swallow that they still haven't been able to conquer Europe? Uh, they see it as a curse and it is kind of a curse. If you look at it historically, yeah, something always goes wrong. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, they, um, I mean, they're further away. I, I'm not entirely, I, I, for me, it's counterproductive because, of course, what, what happens is the team becomes him and 10 domestiques, yeah. 10 water carriers. Uh, and so I'm not actually sure that uh, it's, it's, the style is particularly functional at this stage. I think he, everything hinges around him. Uh, and uh, there's something that doesn't, doesn't, I think they're a million miles away from it at this point. They they weren't so very far from it before they signed him. Um, but um, yeah, that's the promised land because Serie A is, is is kind of a given in the same way that you know, um, you know Celtic were always going to win in Scotland or and and, and 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 Ajax in Holland and so on and so forth. It's a it's a, it's a monopoly really here. But, but they don't seem to be, they seem to me to be a very long way from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, that may be conditioned by the fact that, that Serie A is relatively poor by comparison to La Liga, for example, and the Premiership. The quality of the opposition they're playing week in and week out is not actually that great. And so it's quite a, it, there's an abyss between, you know, playing the better Italian sides and the better European sides. So that may have a bearing on it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, trips to Cortona aren't exactly helpful for preparing. Yeah. But anyway, on to you. You came over to, to that Turin Derby in 1991. You were, what, 23-24. Um, what prompted your decision to, to come to Turin? Why that? Uh, I was a big City fan. I was a big Man City fan. And a group of us were Man City fans. And I'd read an article about Toro, actually, in a, in a, in a, in a fanzine. And I was intrigued. Uh, and, and back in the day, in the early 90s, England had a kind of a big five. And the big five in England then would have been Spurs, Arsenal, uh, Everton, Liverpool and, and United. That was as was. I mean, obviously, the landscape has changed dramatically since then. But, mm. but they were the big five. And it is, it's in, in Italy at that five. So you, 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 effectively, you two clubs in the, in, in the south and three in the northwest. Uh, and in Italy, you, 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 the two Roman clubs, you'd Milan, Inter and, and Juve, and they were the big five. And so, again, geographically, three, three big clubs in the north uh, and two in the south. And then you'd Toro and City. So in some, uh, and, and we were similarly crap, essentially. We, um, and so we were intrigued by that. I was intrigued by that. And I'd read something about the Grande, the Grande Torino and Superga and that stuff. And uh, but in a nutshell, we I so we, we we were season ticket holders at City and we went everywhere and we got knocked out of the FA Cup, so we had a free weekend, and that weekend coincided with the Turin Derby. And I had some some friends, some Italian friends who organised some tickets, so we we took a train from Lincoln to Turin, 
it was too expensive to fly back then. Uh, so we got on a train and uh, and arrived in Turin and went to the Derby. And I loved it. I loved the place. I loved the football. Because English football back then was pretty dire, mm-hmm. re- relatively speaking. It was uh, technically, it was poor. It was blood and snot, but not a great deal of art. Uh, and this was magical, you know. This was romance and uh, colour and... Uh, and and uh, and Italy had the best had the best players in the world back then. Um, so we came to the derby, loved it, sensational. And then uh, I was the self-elected president of this little club that we had, uh, and we came every year. And uh, and then I subsequently met my wife here whilst working on a book about cycling and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Fantastic um, little trip that to take the train to Turin. Yeah, well it was a big trip. I mean it was a big thing. Travelling back then was much it was it was quite um quixotic, you know. Mm. Uh, and it was a long way in every sense. Yeah. Um so we changed at King's Cross or wherever. We couldn't afford to fly, Connor. It was too expensive to fly. It was like five hundred quid. Right. And so but we could afford to take the train just about. So we cobbled the money together, took the train and uh, and 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 it was it was odd because um, I, I try and be concise, but we we couldn't speak Italian, none of us. Uh, so we got off the train at Porta Nuova, which is the, the 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 big train station in the centre of town, and all we knew that was that there were four tickets waiting for us at the souvenir shop. Okay, so we automatically assumed because we we're English that the souvenir shop would be at the ground because that's the way it was in English football. Yeah. Uh, we had no idea where the ground was really. We had a map, so we walked from the centre of Turin to Venaria, which is where the ground, the old ground, the Delhi Alpi, and, and yeah. which has obviously been remodelled as Juve's new ground. So we walked there, and it's about kind of ten kilometres, assuming that's where we would, that's where we'd pick our tickets. So we didn't have a word of Italian between us. Uh, we got there, and the, the only person there was a security guard who put us back in a taxi, uh, which took us straight back to where we'd started. <laughs> Because uh, the souvenir shop was in the middle of town, yeah. Um, and then, uh, and that was it, really. We, um, yeah. And then, of course, uh, there are the, the lots of journalists. They've got three three sports daily sports papers with pages to fill, and they're interested that we would have come from Lincoln to watch the derby, and so it became a bit of a core celebrity, you know, and in, in the way that, in the way that it does, and um, so that was the beginnings of it, if you like. Yeah. Does sound amazing, and it, it still there are elements of that old Italy which are still true today. That that chaos and predictability, the entering into the land of the unknown, you know. Yeah. And oh. it, Italy's very provincial, and Italians are very provincial. And you'll know that living in Parma, yeah. and that's and that's one of the things that defines it, and and one of the things that's beautiful about this country is and it's also one of its one of its one of its great weaknesses is um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's very easy to fall in love with Italy, Connor, as you know. Yeah, and it's not as easy to live in Italy. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what's not to love about this place? For all its all its problems, all its shortcomings, all its clumsiness, uh, you can't not love it. Yeah, living here is as difficult as visiting is beautiful. You know, it's yeah, it's precisely. not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. Herbie, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about your book. Lovely, Connor. Thanks for having me, and uh, and all the best. Take care. Thank you very much.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.